The Old Testament reading is from Jeremiah 23. It's a judgment on the political leaders of Jeremiah's day. Make a reference not to this text, but to this theme in the sermon. Jeremiah says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. And I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's one quick comment. It's interesting, that, that Old Testament reading is interesting. So when you get to Jesus' day, nobody anticipates that the Messiah, everybody anticipates a Messiah, or a ruler is coming from David. Nobody anticipates that he's going to also be divine, the second person of the Trinity. But here in Jeremiah, you have this, you know, the Lord saying to Jeremiah, I'm going to send, I'm going to send somebody from David to sit on the throne again and rule and reign. So everybody's on board with that in Jesus' day. But then what's his name going to be called? The Lord, our righteousness. It's an interesting thing to call a human king. But that's what happens, right? Okay, the, uh, Ephesians 2 is the epistle reading. Therefore, remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time, you Gentiles were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two, Gentile believers and and, uh, Jewish believers, has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in His flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in Himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which He put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you Gentiles are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to Him all they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going <clears throat> that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. 
But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So He began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so His disciples came to Him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, let's talk about the Gospel reading from this morning. Jesus feeds the 5,000. This is a back half of a frame story. A frame story is a story um, that has a beginning and an ending, like all good stories do. A a frame story has been split in half, and then another story, like, uh, you know, meat on a sandwich, gets stuck in between them. And the whole sandwich goes together. It works together. The two stories interpret each other. Mark will do this sometime. We'll have a, a really nice example of a frame story uh, coming up in Mark, and we might not read it because we're going to be doing that sermon series about the church, but it's in the lectionary. Um, Jesus curses the fig tree. You guys remember that story? Jesus is with his disciples, and he sees the fig tree, and he says to the fig tree, he goes over to the fig tree to get some fruit, and there's no fruit on it, and so Jesus says, may you never bear fruit again. And then later, they walk by, and the disciples see that the fig tree is dead. All right, that's kind of a creepy story. Like just taken by itself, it seems like Jesus is like this petty, vindictive magician who curses this fig tree just because it wouldn't give him fruit. But wedge, that story is actually in Mark, that story is split apart. So you have the beginning part where Jesus sees the fig tree and curses it. And then you have the end part where the, the tree's dead. And in between that, the meat of the sandwich is the story of Jesus cleansing the temple, going in and kicking out the money changers and saying, you know, this, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And you've turned it into a den of revolutionaries. So, I mean, what is it? How, those two stories, you see how those two stories interpret each other. Why does Jesus cleanse the temple? Jesus cleanses the temple because it's not bearing any fruit. It's not doing what, what it was intended to do. And so he shuts it down. It's just for a little bit until the authorities get back in there and, and restore order. But he shuts it down. So he does the same thing to the fig tree. He doesn't bear fruit, and so he curses it. See how those two stories work? It's a frame story. We have a frame story here in the gospel. So do you guys remember uh, two weeks ago, Jesus sends the disciples out on mission, two by two, and he empowers them to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And then at the beginning of our gospel reading today, they come back to him. They come back to him and Mark says, oh, let me, let me get there. Uh, they come back to him and the gospel, the apostles gather, verse 30, the apostles gather around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. 
Now, in between that is the story, which we didn't talk about in the sermon last week, but it's the story of uh, John the Baptist getting executed by Herod. So what is Jesus' mission that he sends the disciples on to cast out demons and heal the sick and preach the gospel? What does it have to do with John the Baptist getting executed by Herod? Well, Mark gives us a really juicy clue. If you look at um, verse uh, 34, so they're going to get in the boat and leave and go to the other side. And as they're approaching the other side, Jesus, uh, verse 34, Jesus landed and saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because, here's Mark's comment, they were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus began teaching them many things. Probably literally they look like sheep without a shepherd as their boat's on the Sea of Galilee and it's making its way to shore. And the people who know that Jesus and his disciples are headed over there, they start to circle the side to come across, come across the other side. And they're probably all wearing their, you know, their wool robes. They probably look like sheep gathering up where they think the boat's going to land. But actually, Mark has another meaning. The phrase sheep without a shepherd occurs in three different books in the Old Testament. It occurs, it occurs in the books of Numbers, chapter 17. It occurs in 1 Kings. And it occurs in the book of Ezekiel. And every time sheep without a shepherd is used in the Old Testament, it is always used to talk about the people of Israel absent quality leadership, like the Jeremiah passage this morning. Now we didn't, we didn't, um, Jeremiah didn't use the phrase sheep without a shepherd, but he talked about bad shepherds and the sheep don't have good shepherds and someday he's going to send a good shepherd. It's a frequent, it's a recurring theme in the Old Testament is that God's people are like sheep and they don't have a shepherd because there's no king. It's a major question of the Old Testament is who's going to be the king? Where is the true king? Who's going to be our king? So when Jesus says, so so catch this, this is important for the overall theme of these three texts, of the sandwich, of the frame story. When Jesus says, or when Mark says, Jesus looked at these people like sheep without a shepherd, he's saying they don't have real leadership. Jesus felt bad for them because they were without a king. Well, this gets back to the meat of the sandwich. They actually do. I mean, they literally have a king, King Herod. What's King Herod doing at this time? He's in his palace. He's eating a huge amount of food with his muckety-muck friends, watching young girls dance sensuously, trying to impress all the people with power. He's a politician, and he only exists because he has power. So for Herod, it's a constant struggle to get power. And the broken, lonely, poor, common people, they don't have power. He doesn't need them. He needs the muckety-mucks to come to this party where he can impress them with fancy food and fancy alcohol, mixed drinks, half-clad girls dancing. Meanwhile, what's the real king doing? The real king's hoofing it. The real king is out sleeping out in the open air. The real king is knee-deep in the business of the common people. While the fancy, while, while, the, while the fake king is sitting in the palace feeding his fat face. The real king, hungry and tired, is out on the mission field feeding the people who also are hungry and tired. So see, this this text is about kingdom. And it's a a dramatic uh, contrast between fake power and real power. This is a 30-second aside, which doesn't have a lot to do with the sermon. We all are tempted to put our hopes in our politicians. But you know what your politicians are interested in? Now, you're going to say my favorite politician is, is not. But I'm guaranteeing you that even the good ones are interested in power. 
They're interested in power. Do not put your hopes in them. The fake kings and the fake senators and the fake presidents and the fake congress people and the fake mayors and the fake, ca- fake council people. They're all sitting in their offices and they're thinking about how they can maintain the power they have. And those who are on the outside are looking in and thinking about how can they get that power. Meanwhile, the real king is feeding you. He's loving you. He is hungry and lonely and tired, and he's prepared to die for you. That's real power. Okay, so that's the theoretical background for this text. Jesus is on mission. Once again, Jesus' mission isn't to go to these hungry people. It's not to go to these people who are blind and sick and demon-possessed and say, look, just hang in there. All you have to do is pray the prayer of, of, of faith in me, and then just hang in there, because someday, lucky you, you're going to get to die And then you're going to go up to disembodied heaven and you won't be hungry anymore. No, Jesus is in the business of restoring his creation. He's going to cast out the demons. He's going to heal the sick. He's going to feed the hungry. That's what he's doing. Now, that's the theological background. But in the story, the main point of the story, you guys know what the main point of the story is, is the disciples. The disciples are on mission, right? I mean, it's the disciples here who get sent out in the, you know, the the, the top slice of bread. The disciples get sent out to cast out demons and heal the sick and preach the gospel. And now the disciples are going to get put on mission here in the bottom half of the bread as well. It's a difficult mission. It's an impossible mission. But also, it's our mission. This isn't just, this isn't just an interesting historical anecdote about, wow, this exciting, miraculous adventure that Jesus and his friends get to go on where all of a sudden this bread just shows up. This is a call to us as well to be disciples, to be on mission. So what I want to do real quick is look at three things, that, and I promise this will be quick, this will almost be quicker than the first half of the sermon. Three things that this text teaches us about mission. Three things that this text calls us to in the mission that we have as St. James. First of all, mission grows out of hunger. Now, the whole story is about hungry people getting fed, but the whole story begins with hungry people not getting fed. Look at verse 30. The apostles gather around Jesus, and they report to him all that they had done and taught while they were out on mission. And then in verse 31, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus sees that they're tapped out. They're tired and they, they're hungry. they haven't even had a chance to eat. And so Jesus says, let's us get away. Let's us pull aside for a few minutes and recuperate. So Jesus is interested in your physical well-being. Right? Jesus is interested and you being healthy and whole. But then something gets in the way. And the name of that something is mission. They take off so that they can recuperate, so they can have something to eat, and then all these hungry people show up. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Jesus drops whatever plans they had for rest and relaxation and takes off to be where God's about to work. Jesus is going to be on mission. And his disciples, as hungry as they are, are going to be on mission as well. We frequently use our own hunger as an excuse for not being on mission. So, so you, all, you all are postmodern Americans. Me time is a thing. I need me time, right? I mean, this is what we say like when we've, you know, maybe you've worked a 60-hour week and you've been traveling and you just need to get home and crash a lot of times you hear people talk about this with kids. When I say people, I mean me. It's just too much, you know. It's just too much coming at you. It's too much too much talking, too much requests, too much busyness. Look, I just need to step away for a few minutes. 
Maybe Angela and I can go out to dinner just by ourselves. We need me time. Here's the thing about me time, is that there's just no space for me time on mission. Now, I'm not, Jesus is concerned about rest and relaxation. He's concerned about you being physically healthy. But mission always takes priority over me time. Me time is an incredibly self-centered thing. And if we're going to be me time kind of people, we're never going to be on mission because you always need me time. Honestly, are you ever at a point, this will be the, 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 this will be the second point, are you ever at a point where you don't need me time? Let me just go to the second point here. Mission grows out of our incompetence. Now here's the difference between hunger and incompetence. So hunger is, I have needs that aren't getting met. Incompetence is the recognition that I can't meet those needs. I'm always going to have those needs. And I can't even meet those needs in other people. And that's where the disciples are at in the middle of the story, where Jesus says to them, well, they say to Jesus, okay, look, look, it's getting late. We're in a remote place because we decided to go to a remote place to try and rest and relax. Nobody, nobody knew that plan. They all came out here because they needed our help. But they're all hungry and it's getting dark. And what we need to do is we need to send them out as soon as we can so that they can go and buy some food to eat. And Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. Jesus knows, they know that they've got no food that they've got no money for food. And Jesus insists, you give them something to eat. You do it right now. You do it. Hunger and incompetence is not an excuse for not being on mission. In fact, it's a prerequisite. Mission grows out of your need. Look, if, if mission for you is, I'm rich, I'm going to give money to poor people, then you're not doing mission, you're doing charity. You're doing something that's going to gratify your self-assurance. Christian mission always grows out of our own inadequacies, out of our own incompetencies. So somebody says, hey, hey, can you help out with VBS? And you think to yourself, I'm just not good with kids. Look, I, I, I just can't, I'm just not up for that. Somebody says, hey, you, you, can, can you be involved in this mission of the church? And you think to yourself, I, I, that week, I'm just really busy, it's really busy at work right now and I'm not getting home until really late, and I'm really tired. Let me tell you something. I think that in four or five months, things are going to calm down at work. We're making some changes. I can probably help out then when you get back to me then. You need to be doing evangelism with those people in your life that are lost, your friends and your family members. But you're thinking to yourself, I can't, I can't do that. I, I, you know what? I've always, you know what? I, I've been planning on, I've always wanted to do like a seminar or classes on apologetics and um you know what? I'll tell you what. I'm gonna um, let me let me get some books by C.S. Lewis or Francis Schaeffer. Let me read those, and because so, they're gonna have questions, and I don't know the answers to those questions. So you know, I'll do it. I'll do it then. I have a friend, a good shepherd, who I was at. He's in his early 30s, and I was asking him recently. I was saying, I said to him, like, what are your, you? Know, do you have plans for like, you know, getting married and having kids? And he said, I- I'm not. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for marriage, but I'm totally not ready for kids right now. Of course not. Like, who's ready for marriage? Like, who's competent to be a spouse? Are you ever at any point in your life like, oh yeah, I got, I got this kid thing down. Let's have some kids. I'm totally, I'm totally equipped. You never are. And yet Jesus calls you on this mission of family and evangelism and service to those who need your service. And if you're always like, well, I'm going to wait till I'm hungry until I'm perfectly equipped for this thing, you're never going to do it. 
Jesus puts his disciples in a position where they're completely incompetent and they're completely hungry themselves. And then he calls them on mission and he says, I'm going to do it through you. Because that's the third thing about mission is you guys know where this is headed, right? This mission is not your mission. This mission is Jesus's mission. And he is going to do it through you. And he puts you in a position where you're completely hungry and completely incompetent. He puts you in a position where you've got nothing to feed these people. I ain't got, I got no bread. I got no money for bread. And then before you know it, you're passing out bread and you're passing out fish and you have no clue where it's from and coming from. All the disciples know is that this guy who's standing behind them is like breaking this bread and breaking this fish and it keeps coming and coming and coming. And these people who are in the Middle East, middle class people, lower class people, chronically hungry all the time in ways that we as Americans will never understand. All of a sudden, they've had more food than they've ever been able to eat in their whole life because Jesus has decided these people are going to eat. And yes, you are completely incompetent for this mission. You're completely incompetent for helping out the church. You're completely incompetent for evangelism. You're completely incompetent for serving your family. You're completely broken. You're completely fallen. You're completely hungry yourself. But if you'll go on mission with this Jesus guy, you'll have more bread than you've ever known what to do with. Amen.